This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, books that are timeless and charming, provocative and of the moment, the conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. Richie Jackson has always felt lucky to be gay, and the single dream and drive of his life has always been to be a father. In May of 2000, luck and dreams melded, and his son was born. In due time, his son, too, announced that he was gay. Was Richie relieved that his son was born into a dramatically more welcoming world? Comforted that being gay no longer needed to be a defining quality? The answers were no. And Richie brought his love for his son, his joy of being gay, and his growing concern that gay rights would be eroded to write a beautiful letter to his son. This letter is the book we have before us, Gay Like Me, A Father Writes to His Son. Richie has had an award-winning film, television, and Broadway-producing life, and yet he may now be defined as a dad, sharing his wisdom for all of us to be better parents, raising the child we have. As his husband said on Instagram this morning, this book is a love letter to being gay, to parenting, and to living and loving with your whole heart. I agree. Richie, welcome to Just the Right Book. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I had such a good time reading the book. So let's Let's start with how this book came to be. How did the end of your Emmy-winning show, Nurse Jackie, turn into this book? Right. So uh, I had always wanted to do a TV show about an older gay man who was a fish out of water in his own community. So many men my age, I'm 54, uh, so many gay men can't make sense of uh, the younger generation, the younger gay generation. So after Nurse Jackie ended, I thought it would be a, a comedy series. And I wrote... Mm. Uh, like another kind of odd couple? Yeah, it would be like the older guy and the younger guy would end up being roommates and the hilarity would ensue. And I w- wrote plot outlines and I wrote character descriptions. And then our our older son, when he was 15, told us he was gay. And I was elated. I mm. wanted him to be gay. I hoped he'd be gay. It was my greatest wish. And then he said, Daddy, being gay is not a big deal. Mm. My generation doesn't think it's a big deal. And then I thought, oh, no. Mm. Being gay is a really big deal. It's the best part about me. It's the most important part about me. And I didn't want him to be one of these people who grows up to say, gay doesn't define me. Gay is just a part of me because those diminishments, rendering it matter of fact, would break his own heart and not take full advantage of the gift that it is. So I started to think what I needed to share with him Mm. about what it means to be a gay man. And then Donald Trump was elected. Just as our son was readying himself to go to college to be a gay man out in the world, and now I had to warn him what it's going to take to be a gay man in America. And that's how the book came about. So there's a bunch of things you said in there that I want to 
tease out. Okay. So let's start with that the most joyful part of you is being gay. Now, bring us back to growing up, right? Because you moved to New York. You were 17. It was the early 80s. It was the beginning of the AIDS crisis. It wasn't exactly, you know, a welcoming environment to be a gay man. So what is it that contributes to you defining the joyfulness of being gay, not merely, merely, not merely a sexual orientation? Well, one of the things is we are uh, just 4.5% of the population, LGBTQ people. That's not a defect. That's not worthless. We're chosen. Mm -hmm. I have always felt chosen to see the world differently. And I never wanted to be like anybody else. I didn't grow up wanting to fit in. I didn't have parents pushing me. And you were bullied and that didn't... I I was bullied. Uh, The first person to bully me was my fourth grade gym teacher. Uh, Yeah. I had... um, I was in fourth grade... And all the boys in the grade chose to be in band. You had to choose your music class. And I chose chorus. I was the only boy. And my gym teacher said to all the other boys, jump on the faggot. And they all piled on. And I hadn't thought anything was wrong with it. But I understood that he did. And all my all the other kids understood what he meant. And uh, So, Richie, what do you think? protected you emotionally from that not that treatment not defining you so i think partly it was how i was raised uh, mm-hmm. my parents never said a negative word about any group of people yeah and they so i never thought it was wrong and they also valued what i thought and what i said and so I just always thought that I had value as a human Nothing being. Nothing like being a Jewish son. I, exactly. <laughs> Gay or straight. Yes. No, truly. It was very, I mean, although my mother didn't, my brother and I always say to my mother, like, you're the only Jewish mom who didn't teach us ambition. Like, she left that whole thing out. Yeah. And she said, I just wanted my children to be kind. That yeah. was her main goal for us. So, uh, but I also think there was, I really struggled in school. I always struggled. Academically Acad- or socially? Uh, academically. Mm-hmm. Uh, all through school, but really in second and third grade, I couldn't read. I, I had to be taken for special lessons. Were I, you dyslexic? I wasn't dyslexic, although I'm I'm slightly dyslexic with numbers. Mm-hmm. But I remember spending hours putting a ruler under the line in the book I had to read so I wouldn't be distracted by other words. Yeah. And yeah. I, tracking, I think it's called. Yeah, I, tracking. I, so I was, so I really, I wasn't as, I wasn't as, um, I didn't have the abilities that the other kids in the class had for the uh, Academic subjects. performance. But I had a secret and I knew the secret made me different mm. and it made me better. I liked boys. Everybody where I grew up was the same. We went to school. We went to Hebrew school. We went to Little League. There were even days that we wore our Little League outfit to Hebrew school after school. And to have something that made me special, to have something that made me unique, I thought was an escape hatch. So, Richie, it's so fascinating. And I was struck by this in reading the book. So for most kids, 
you don't want to be different. The fact that you interpreted being different as special, do you find that even within the gay community that that is somewhat of a unique quality? Right, but I, I, I think it might be unique, but it's not because it's it's not because uh, that ability isn't in other people. It's because it's been beaten out of them. Yeah. It's because, look, I believe that LGBTQ people are marvels. When you mm-hmm. think about it, they disappoint. We, we disappoint our parents. We're at battle with our government. We're stigmatized by religions. We're bullied in our childhoods. We're erased in our classroom. We have survived a plague, and still we you come, flourish. Still, we come out and and say, "This is me," and we stay afloat daily. That is the spirit of a remarkable species yeah. of people. I so love that. That's I. One of the reasons, uh, or one of the things I want to get out of this book is to change the way we think about LGBTQ mm-hmm. people because. They are remarkable. And resilient. Right. It is our superpower to be gay. Yeah. It is not our defect. Yeah. So I want to go back to um, a story that I have a bunch of questions about. You recently won a Tony, I believe, for the revival of I, uh, Nominated for a Tony. Right. Nominated for That's a Tony. Right. Well, I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> Thanks um, so much. And that play has special resonance with you. So That's share right. that story with us. So uh, in 1982, I was in high school. I had not spoken about being gay to my parents. And uh, one day my mother came home from spending the day in the city. And she said, I saw this incredible play with this unbelievable actor who was also the playwright. And on the way out, I bought tickets to take you. Now, I knew something had to be special because we didn't have the money to buy a ticket. She was buying another ticket. She was buying a ticket for something (laughs) we've seen before. That is not something my family did. Yeah. So I said, what is it about? And she said, homosexuality. And I was excited to see it, although... You knew you were homosexual, but she didn't. Right. Or you hadn't said that to her. I had never told her. Mm -hmm. I hadn't up until then told her. Mm -hmm. I was 16, living in Long Island. And she took me to see Harvey Firestein in Torch Song Trilogy, which is, which at the time was the very first successful gay comedy on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Mainstream. A, right. It won a Tony Award. I saw for it. Best play. Harvey won. It was incredible. Yeah. Harvey played a character named Arnold. It was the very first gay person I ever came in contact with. I didn't know any other gay people. This character was my introduction. Mm. In the play, his character mirrored all the things I had wanted my whole life. Up from when I was a little boy, I wanted to be a father and I wanted to love someone. Mm. And that's what this character wanted. At the end of the play, there is this horrible fight between the mother and Arnold where the mother says, had I known you would be gay, Mm. I wouldn't have had you. After the play, my mother took me to dinner and said, you know, if you ever came home and said you were gay, I would never react like the mother in that play. So she used theater as a crystal ball Mm. to show me a life that could be possible for me. When I think about it now, I think my mother had no gay friends, no gay coworkers. 
Nobody was talking to my Long Island mother about gay people. It was her own humanity that had her take me to see that play. And uh, it showed me my future. So here's something that I was... uh, My reaction to uh, reading that was both a sense of humanity about your mother, but I am also a Jewish mother. Right. Uh, uh, my son is straight, but I'm a Jewish I'm sorry mother. About that. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to come to that. <laughs> so, and I thought, was she, or have you ever talked about how disappointed she was that at dinner, that you had dinner take, after yeah. the play, and it was like the perfect setup. It was like everything was there for you to say, Mom. And you didn't. You decided not to do that. So I'm curious, why not? And have you ever talked to your mother about was she disappointed, or how soon after did you come out? That's to her? a really good question. That uh, so I didn't uh, come out to her when she when she gave me that lifeline because I wasn't ready to. Ah. Uh, I just wasn't ready to tell her yet. I, what were you afraid of? Do you think? I, I, I think in retrospect, I was just not ready for once you tell your parents, sort of your whole life changes. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't ready yet for that. But she didn't ask me if I was gay. Yeah. She said, if you ever came home and said you were gay. But she was brilliant about this. I know, which, but also made it seem like, okay, she knows it's coming and she's letting me know it's going to be okay when I'm ready to do it. So I, basically took her lead to be like, okay. Take I'll your time. Take your time. She didn't give me that much time. My uh, first year of college, I was home for Passover, and we were standing in the kitchen, and she just blurted out, when are you going to tell me you're gay? Who else was in the room? Just the two of us in the kitchen. It was very unceremonious at mm. a very ceremonious Jewish holiday. Yeah. And I, I said to her, I'm gay, and I'm going to be a father. That's all I said. And your dad's reaction Different. was not the same. Right. And your brother Mark was away at school. He was at Cornell. Uh, he was at Cornell Law School. Uh, he wasn't coming home for Passover because he, he had to be at school. And I had said to my mom, I'll tell the rest of the family. Please don't tell anybody. And Were you annoyed she, about that? You know, I think it's important that, uh, and as I write in my book, people need to come out on their terms, and so she should have let me do it my way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she told my dad, and he said to me all the wrong things, all the stereotypical. Like all the wrong things. Yeah, and all, very stereotypical. Uh, it's just a phase. A gay, you don't want to choose that lifestyle. Gay men are sad and lonely. All the things. And it was a, I was shocked by it. It was so different than my mom and also so different than the man that I had known. And did it surprise you? Shocking. And what do you think was driving that react? Like, who was he growing up? Where well, did he, he grow up? He grew up in Long Beach, Long Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jewish. Uh, Jewish, and he's a journalist. And I think, you know, uh, I realize as a parent now and having two children and gone through the process of having children is that the minute you know you're pregnant, that you're expecting a baby, 
your expectations of what that baby will be and what your life will be instantaneously coalesce. And I think what happened to me is his dashed expectations about what my life would be were uh, obliterated, he thought, and I was getting the brunt of his first reaction. Mm-hmm. And I didn't— Sort have, of an instinctive— right. And I think the real question is, why didn't my mom bring him along? You yeah. Know, with, Do you have you asked for that? I I haven't, and um, you know, I I I I would. I think that's a more interesting, you know, for book two. Will uh, mm-hmm. will yeah? But I do. She didn't. He, she didn't prepare him. And what I didn't know then. And Your brother I, came right home though, right? Yeah. So what happened was, uh, my brother called just to say happy Passover. Mm. And when my mom and I told him what had just happened, he said, I'll be right there. And he drove five hours from Ithaca, New York to come home and talk to my dad and um, start to disabuse him of his stereotypes. I think what I talk about in the book, and I think what's important is to know that sometimes a parent's first reaction isn't their last. Mm. And I didn't know that back then. And it was over the course of years that my dad changed. And But back when when he first said all those uh, stereotypical things to me, I thought that was it. It was going to be our relationship from then on. And, you know, Richie, one of the things I thought about reading the book is, and you know what, I'm I'm going to come back to this because I want to come to the statement you make all the time is that you would have been disappointed if your son wasn't gay. Well, he says I he he jokes that I would be disappointed if he, oh, but look, I oh, want. Well, let's turn it around. You're thrilled he's gay. <laughs> I'm thrilled he's gay. Right. I, you know, I wanted him to be gay because. It's been such a gift for me. I wanted him. Do you think he felt pressured to be gay? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, maybe, he, I, you know, it, it, that would be hilarious. Uh, I know it's the conservatives' worst nightmare that two gay you men can make, raise a yeah. gay man. If, <laughs> right. if I knew how to do that, I would bottle would, it and like, sell it. it. <laughs> I think it would be a real gift to the world. The real disappointment. That's a, that could be another book. Like, my son wanted to be straight, but I insisted he be gay. What, the how-to book. <laughs> there should be a being gay for dummies, don't you think? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I see a lot of books coming. No, you no, got the it's book whole... about your parents. This, other, yeah, this is just the beginning. <laughs> Here's the real book I want. I want to do one of those impulse buy books. Yeah. The sort of like little square gay yeah, yeah. book that right at the cash register. And registers. what will the title be? I think it, it, it's like a how-to. It's the gay agenda. The I gay think I agenda. I want to do the gay agenda. Oh, you're really going to scare people. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You know, they've scared us enough. It's time. Yeah, you can do turn it. The you can do it. The, you know, uh, there's one parenting lesson, right? You parent the child you have, not the child you thought you'd have or you thought you wanted. Or you want. Right. But the real disappointment would have been if I wanted my son to be nothing like me. How could I parent with any self-esteem if every day I prayed, please don't be like me, please don't be like me? Yeah. That's just not a way to parent. So you feel, even though Trump was at your wedding, <laughs> you I know throw 500, that right in. 
I know 599 other people were there, and I know— All of whom would have been better equipped to be president than him. Well, yeah. So you, despite the stories that you share in the book and some that you've shared in this conversation of being bullied, of being picked on, of going through a difficult phase with your father, you nonetheless suggest that it's going to be harder— for your son to be gay in this world than it was in your world, which to me as a straight woman seems not possible that that could be given how much the world has changed in the last 30 years. So why do you feel that way? Well, uh, I think all the rainbows and the hashtag love is love is masking a very real war that's been declared on the LGBTQ community. In 2015, when the White House, the Obama White House, lit up in rainbow, celebrating the marriage uh, decision by the Supreme Court, I should have known that a straight lash was coming for us because anti-LGBTQ adversaries think that house belongs only to them. And when Donald Trump went to Washington, he brought with him Jeff Sessions, Mike Pence, and Betsy DeVos all more of an imminent threat to our son than ISIS in North Korea. They have mm. unleashed a across-the-government war on gay people. So, Richie, one of the things that I wonder about with that, and I, I interviewed Eric Larson yesterday, and we were talking about uh, his new book coming out at the end of the month about the Blitz and London and the incredible leadership of Churchill and compared it to the leadership today. And the question I asked him is, uh, is what we're seeing with the type of leadership that we have a new road to hell or is it a blip in an ebb and a flow? And one of the things that it made me think about when I was reading your book is, is this, as you call straight lash, backlash against the progress that's been made merely a last last gasp of trying I, to stop right. what has been unleashed. Well, trying to stop and erase. That's why I think it is going to be worse for young LGBTQ people now because when I was growing up, all our uh, dreams seemed like impossible. Impossible. And they were our adversary's worst nightmare. Then we got them and we got marriage. We were able to serve in the military. We had more protections. And so now I think what's happening is that's all being taken away and they're not going to let us get it again. And there was a poll recently, a Harris poll that uh, the organization GLAAD did, which shows that 18 to 34-year-old straight people's uh, acceptance and uh, comfortability with gay people has trended down really? the, la- the last two years. I'm surprised by I that. Know. That is the Trump effect taking hold. So this idea that, oh, the younger generation is going to save us and it's the last gasp of the older white Southern Republican man, I think is uh, false. You do. You think that, excuse me, you think that this will unleash a homophobic, has has unleashed a homophobic 
fear that still resides in people. So the question the day after the election was, did we not know, did like, is this our country? Mm. And Harvey Firestein called me and he said, all right, at least we know where we are. We thought our country was something else, and now we know what it is. And I think what we're seeing is really uh, the true nature of our country, not the sort of mirage that seemed to be the Obama years. So, Richie, I don't want to believe this. Great. Okay. I I, 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 I don't either. I, I, I don't want to believe it um, for a lot of reasons, and not the least of which is that I'm a delusional optimist. Right. Um, so do you think, like Joe Biden says, that things are going to get back to normal once Donald Trump leaves office? What I – so I am worried that that isn't true. I am worried, obviously, that right. that isn't true, that he has so debased how we operate that the path out seems – unfathomable. Right. But, you know, we're still stuck with his voters. The people who elected him are not going to leave the country when he leaves office. They, We still have to deal with them. But here, here's a different way of thinking about it. I know I'm not going to persuade you, but <laughs> just so that we clear the air. There, um, a woman by the name of Beverly Tatum wrote a a book called Why Are All the Black Children Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? And she issued a 20th anniversary edition. (coughs) So 80% of the children being born today are of color. Right. 80%. 50% of the kids that are in school are of color. Now, I'm not conflating of color. What is the year that the country becomes? Tilts to a minority majority. 2042 or something. Exactly. Right. 2040s. Right. Now, I know that's far away, but I, along the way, it's not going to be like a big flip. Progressively, the, the dynamic of the population is changing. And so do I think this will happen the minute Trump is not president? And because what worries me are the judges. Well, the, the he's court, appointed the more are, judges. The, the courts are gone. So, but I, tell me, argue against yourself. Tell me the way out that it won't, that the straight lash is fleeting. Well, what argue I- Argue it for me. Well, I, you know, I think we, I think first of all, we have to stop being a circular uh, firing squad on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we have to stop with the um, oppression Olympics where we're all racing to the bottom to be the most oppressed group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I think... Meaning we have to collaborate. I think, look, when Donald Trump came down the elevator At Trump and, said, Tower. and said what he said about Mexican people, if you are other, if you are marginalized, if you're a minority, you knew he was coming for you too. Mm. So... We all have to. What's that quote of the German carpenter? Right, uh, they came for. Uh, you know, they came for the Jews. Right, and I didn't speak up. Yeah. So every fight has to be our fight, and we um, our collective our fight. Our collective fight. So I want to go to your son before we go to your prescription. So your son thinks you're overreacting. <laughs> 
that it's not such a big deal. He doesn't want to be defined by being. Well, he doesn't. You know, it's interesting. He has recently come read, around. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's not who he is. He, he he likes to disagree with me a lot. His what he has Good said boy. to me. Re, right, I was. I remember the first time he disagreed with me, I was so excited. Mm-hmm. And he was very young. What he said to me is he doesn't want me to say he doesn't think it's a big deal and have it sound like he doesn't care. Mm. And I said, that's not the impression people get. The impression is that things are better for you now. There is this belief that we live in a time that it's better for you. Um, what was your original question? <laughs> <laughs> so- so the the question I have is, so you talk about your son not feeling as concerned about the future as you are and thinks that you're maybe worrying more than he chooses right. to well, worry. If you, so even if a gay person does not think that I, what I think, even if they don't think it's the blessing of their life, that it's the most important thing about them, let's just talk definitionally how important being gay is it's how you love it's how you're loved it's how you're governed it's how you're politic it depend it, it dictates where you live in the country where you're safe you can be fired for being gay in 28 states hmm. and the supreme court you can be wait a minute you, you can, can be there fired. are no employment protections for lgbtq people in 28 states isn't there a federal There's rule? no federal law protecting gay people. There is now a federal bill trying to be passed. It passed the uh, House, but it's not come up in the Senate. What the Civil Rights Bill do? That does not include gay people. So the Supreme Court— I know I sound like an idiot. <laughs> so the Supreme Court has three uh, current cases, cases in front of it that they will decide this year— about whether or not uh, discrimination in employment covers LGBTQ people, whether it covers gay people and gen- and gender identity. So in 28 states, in 28 you states, come into my company and I, say and you, I figure I, out you're gay. If I came into your company in 28 states— I would I said, hire you, Richie, just Thank, so we know. Yeah, but you, then I say to you, I just married my husband. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd you say can, mazel tov. And you could fire me. <laughs> I could fire you. Yes. So everybody's like, oh, being gay is not a big deal. Being gay doesn't define me. But it does define where you can live. Or how you can operate. Right. Also, if you have a gay person who comes over to your house for Monopoly, ask how they got there. Ask if they did not think about the route they took to make sure they would be safe. Ask them if they hold their spouse's hand on the street everywhere they go. Do they kiss them goodbye everywhere? There's not a moment mm. during the day that I am not vigilant about my safety. And I live in New York City. And still I have to have uh, my guard up all the time. So it is a critical part of our lives that we are con- that you have. To- it's the exhaustive work of being gay is staying safe. And how common do you think your view of this is within the gay community? You know, I think every gay person will tell you they, whether they call it the same thing or they even can identify it in themselves, they know they have a gay guard. 
They mm-hmm. know that that they're alert. That they're alert to the reaction that right. might exist. Right. So, what's your son's reaction to the book? So, uh, I finished it, and just as he went to NYU, and he got assigned Socrates, and I got put aside. So he hasn't read all of it. We've talked a lot about all the stuff about it. My son is very private, and uh, but he does step out of that when he thinks there's something of value that we as a family could do. And when I asked him permission to tell our story, he said yes immediately. Mm. And has he received any reaction? Uh, you know, from it's just it's just out in the world now. Oh, that's I'm, right. It just came out yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. My big hope is he gets dates. I keep saying that. Ah! <laughs> is this just your own little dating service for your son, Richie? So as a Jewish mother, <laughs> would you not think that is brilliant? Just tell me. <laughs> How did you meet? You know, How every, clever. Thank you very much. How very, <laughs> very clever of you. Now, you have another child We now, do. We have Who's a, a baby. He's three years old. And yeah. so you don't know yet whether he's going to be straight or gay. Uh, not yet, no. Uh, and so if he turns out to be straight. Oh, my. Poo-poo-poo. How will you, what, what's that? The saying is actually, uh, the the. The Hebrew is tutu, oh, right? Yeah, those, to, to, yeah, not, to, to not kanahara. To not kanahara. Yeah. It. So if he's straight, yeah. How will you raise him? How will you? How will your your being a gay Jewish dad inform right. your raising him? Because now, now you're going to be turned on your heels, right? Right. You, you, this is not necessarily. I'm not. I know you don't mean this, but the child you want, yeah, it's the child you got. Well, first I'll write the book. Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> so I'll get another book out of it. You're not going to do that to him, are you? <laughs> well, uh, you know, when I remember when we were uh, expecting our older son Jackson, and I really, literally would say, uh, I'm going to raise him gay, and it, everybody said, No, no, gay men should raise straight men. They would be better straight men we need and so because they would be more right. uh, empathetic, empathetic and i think that you know my husband and i have a, a a pretty simple and clear parenting method we follow our children mm. and we let them lead us and our job is not only to keep them safe but to so expand on and to let their exploration of life just have a wide berth if our younger son is straight, you know, whatever he is, we will raise him to be uh, a You'll camp- celebrate that, we'll, won't you, Richie? Uh, <laughs> I, I, want, I, I want a public commitment right now. You know, I, want, I want to hear that from you. The, the entire <laughs> I'm not scaffolding <laughs> of the world is set up for straight men. He's going to be fine. I know, but I want to hear how you're going to celebrate him being I, a straight young our, man. My big thing is to celebrate everything our children are. Yeah. And to make sure that we raise him to have the self-esteem to be whatever he is Mm -hmm. and to not demean himself, to not belittle any feeling he has, and to have resilience and empathy. And so whatever he is, straight, uh, gay, or in between any of it, uh, I will celebrate 
as and make sure he celebrates. The, you okay. know, the most important thing is that he celebrates. Right. He. Right. So there are two things um, I'd like do you, to. Do you see I'm sweating now that talking about him being straight? <laughs> oh, my God. You got to do that to me. Now I'm off kilter. Uh, so there's two things I want to um, close with. One is you and your husband um, have been activists. So what is it that you would like all of us who are readers, straight, gay, whatever, to take away from your book in terms of being active? Uh, Because I think we probably share this, Richie, that anything you care about being passive is collusion. Right. Absolutely. So we both believe yeah. that you're an activist. So what would you like to see the kind of activism that right. might result from people reading your book or hearing you? Right. I think the big thing is uh, I hear a lot of people say they're allies, they're LGBTQ allies. We need those allies to be advocates mm. and we need our safety and our um, all the issues that are always on the ballot concerning us to rise to a level for for our advocates to say, you know, I'm going to make that part of my judgment on how I vote mm-hmm. for someone mm-hmm. uh, because our lives depend on it. Yeah. And, uh, and then I think LGBTQ people have to make our, they have to be LGBTQ centric voters. We have to vote for what is best for us because nobody else is doing that. Mm-hmm. And the the you know there's a book out i'm trying to remember the name of the author i think his first name is ibrahim and the book is called anti racist mm-hmm. and his contention is that you can't merely be not a racist right that in order to make sure there isn't racism you have to be anti right actively, actively, actively right defending well, I, you're saying the same thing same and what i hope people will get from my book is they will understand what it takes to be gay in America right now. Mm-hmm. And they might read it and say, oh, I had no idea yeah. what you have to do, what you go through on a daily basis, and and hopefully see things differently. Everybody says, oh, I don't care that you're gay, or I don't care that you're this. But actually, we need them to care yeah. so that we they can be part of our rights can no are not politics. Nobody can. Yeah. My personhood is not up for politics. You can't be pro and con on my family, and my safety and the safety of my family and community are not. Uh, it should not be legitimate p- politics and party platforms to talk about. So what? So the worry is that we're seeing, and I think it leads to the chaos we see in the Democratic Party is what is referred to as the siloing of issues. So you have an issue, I have an issue, they have an issue, and you've got candidates targeting that their their silo. How do we manage to get a candidate well, or a Democratic Party that has a bigger tent? Right. Well, I think you're, I mean, I from what I what I hear in your question is you use the word silo, but other people say identity politics. Right. Oh, right. And, That's and, right. You know, for me, I 
don't think there's anything wrong with identity politics because it's basically people demanding to be heard, demanding the focus and attention of the candidates. The thing is, we do have to coalesce around somebody eventually. Um, Yeah, because what if you get someone who, I, I don't know who this person would possibly be, but let's say it's someone who totally understands your issues and is a racist. Right. Right. I don't know how that person could no, that, be. A, I don't. Right. But I, I, I'm, I, I'm exaggerating for a reason. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I, you know, I look, I will take any one of these candidates. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, anyone. And they're yeah. all to varying degrees, I think, better uh, on LGBTQ issues. But I'll take better, but not necessarily where you'd want them. Right. But you take them. Yes. Yeah, of course. Right. Of course. Because of what you said, the judges, the judges, yeah. the judges. Yeah, the judges, the judges, the judges. Right. Which Mitch McConnell understood. Uh, uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I realize I want to ask another question before I have you read something oh, my. Uh, from the book. Oh, God. I'm going to have you I read. I didn't rehearse. Yeah, you, you'll be good. I think I, I know tell. what you want me to read. Yeah, of course. But here's what I want to ask you because this has come up in our store recently and it's a common uh, conversation. I re- I recently was in conversation with Tanahasi Coates about oh. this, and that is about sticking to your lane, meaning gay um, writers should be the only ones writing about gay issues or having a gay character. Hispanics should be or Latina right. people should only well, be. We're, we're having this with American Dirt. Right well, now, she right? was just at the store. Right. Janine Cummins was just at the store and she's getting a you know, just barrage <laughs> yes. with this issue. Where do you fall on who can represent whose voice? You know, uh, there's a beautiful Langston Hughes poem called Notes on Commercial mm. Theater, which is in my book. It is. Uh, and... I'm telling you it's in your book. <laughs> in case you didn't know. It's like the Afi Coleman. You yeah. just find something in the book. You have no idea. Uh, he, and... When Jordan and I were courting, we saw a gay movie with an entirely straight cast of actors. Mm -hmm. And I sent him that poem afterwards, which is all about making sure you tell your own story because other people could co-opt it and bend it to their own uh, view. What I think is we need more storytellers from different voices to tell their own stories uh, and I think it's important to have, for in my instance, a, a gay person write about gay people. But if more, enough of us are writing, I'm totally, you know, Re- Rebecca McKay wrote a beautiful. Oh my God, the great believers! Right. What a great right. book! And I'm she's so a glad you woman. said that, Richie. Yeah, I loved it because I thought that was fabulous. I did too. I I will say though that we have to be careful when a gay person doesn't get the opportunity to write the book about but yeah. a straight woman does or the trans and that's the writer. that's the hit on american dirt right so where that, is that right if she now that's not her fault no that's the publishing industry and they're beating her we up we have for to that. be very careful i believe to not silence people with the idea that you make room for other people because that's not how the world works you don't silence that's somebody wh- and 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 make it so only another person can talk. We need to make sure everybody, everybody can talk. I, I, My big issue is making sure gay roles are played by gay actors 
not only because of the authenticity, not only for the employment opportunity, but my life was changed. And this could be with authors too. My life was changed by seeing Harvey Firestein, a gay man, play a gay character, and then following his life off stage. And this was back when there was no social media. I had to read interviews, watch him on TV. That was an opportunity for me to have a role model and, and see yourself. Right. So you go to see straight actors play gay and you're not giving young gay kids the opportunity to find a role model off stage. Yeah. So I totally understand that. I remember Dorothy Allison talking about she wrote Bastard Out of Carolina because she, there was no queer woman right. in the South that right. she could relate to. So I get that part. But I worry about that getting turned on you. Does that mean a gay man can't? play a straight guy. Well, they're not allowed to now. We very rarely see gay men playing straight. Uh, but I characters. think that's a problem. Well, it's a big problem. Straight actors get awards for playing gay uh, characters, and gay actors aren't given enough opportunity to play straight uh, characters. Yeah. So we could go on talking we about could. this for a I'd... long time. Um so your book, which I'm going to have the last word be yours, Richie, because okay. it's your book. Um, your book is not only a celebration of being a gay man, um, but it is a parenting book. And it is a parenting book that I'm a straight woman raising a straight boy Ugh, man. It's fine. It's sorry. fine. It, Stop. It's fine. It could be better. <laughs> and I... I appreciated not only being informed about what it's like to be gay um, today, but as a as a mother. So I'm going to have you close by reading your prayer, parents' prayer. Yes, which I love. Oh, I'm so happy I to do. It. Thank you so much. Uh, so, uh, the last chapter, and this is, uh, I knew I wanted it to be the last chapter before I even started it, that it would end with a prayer, for, uh, and it's a prayer for my son, but really a prayer for all our children. I pray your life is full of love. I hope it includes activism. I expect you'll be of service. I hope too, through your buoyant colors you wear daily, that your life will have a vibrancy especially now while you are young, that mine did not. I hope you'll try, and if you fail, try some more. I wish you to be loved the way I am. I want you to know the glory is in the doing, not in any reward, financial gain, or accolade. I want you to aim high, because if you aim for the middle, you will find it. Take time to think, there are no no-brainers. Crave responsibility. It is where the living is. Always want the ball. Be kind. Being kind is like warming up your voice before singing or stretching before an athletic activity. Being kind opens you up to be ready for anything, and being kind to people makes them feel valued. When you are ready for anything, and valuing the people around you, the possibilities of what you can achieve are endless. 
There is not a finite amount of success in the world. Be the student most likely to want everyone to succeed. In our loaded-for-bear world, where seemingly everyone has become a disciplinarian, teach, don't lecture, guide, don't demean, bolster, don't belittle. Honor your parents by being yourself and all of yourself, living fully and unapologetically. Comfort when needed and cause discomfort when required. Care for and about yourself. Care for your friends and your family. Care for our community. You are leaving home to join the greatest of odysseys, taking off on a magical and mysterious adventure. You are on the precipice where so many men before you stood. Jump. Jump as high and as far and as wide as you can. Daddy Jordan and I are here watching you with utter wonder. It's fabulous. Thank you so much. Fabulous. Thank you. We've been talking with uh, Richie Jackson, uh, the author of the book Gay Like Me, A Father Writes to His Son. Richie Jackson, thank you so much. So happy to be here. Thank you. You've been listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. The show is produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, Johnny Diamond, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Justin Alvarez. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Roxanne Cody, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>